0: Testing 1, two, 3. Testing 1, 2, 3. This is Radio Free Mormon. On the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet. Today's date is Tuesday, May 19th, 2020. We continue to be in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic, although I'm happy to announce that restrictions are gradually loosening. As I announced at the beginning of yesterday's program, I remain committed to putting up a new episode every day of the week this week. This is my ninth week of putting up a new episode here at Radio Free Mormon every weekday. I remain committed to doing so through the end of this week. However, after this week is over, I expect to go back to my old pattern of putting up a new podcast every week or possibly even every two weeks if things are busy here at the office. Now, when I say the 14 fundamentals of following the prophet, most of my listeners will know exactly what it is I'm talking about. It has reference to the title of a talk given by Ezra Taft Benson back in 1980. At the time, Ezra Taft Benson was not the president of the church. He was the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and my understanding is that he was the most senior apostle in the LDS church next to President Kimball at the time he gave this talk in 1980. And of course, when President Kimball passed away in 1985, Ezra Taft Benson then assumed the role of president of the LDS Church. Back in December of 1914, I wrote an article regarding this talk, 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet. And not only do I comment on specific elements in the talk, which I do in the second half of the article, the first half of the article is devoted to examining an interesting phenomenon that lies behind this talk. And indeed, there are other examples that I give of the same phenomenon. The phenomenon to which I refer has to do with a leader of the church, not the president of the church, but some other leader of the church or a church publication, teaching something that the president of the church at the time condemns and refutes and repudiates. And yet the repudiation by the president of the church of this controversial doctrine, the one that the president of the church, the one who is the prophet of God, the one who is supposed to speak for God in all things, the repudiation takes place not publicly so the members of the church know about it but only privately so just the top leaders of the church know about it and in circumstances such as this what happens is that because there is no public repudiation retraction or clarification of the wrong doctrine that wrong doctrine ends up becoming repeated by subsequent leaders of the church and ends up effectively becoming doctrine in the lds church And it becomes doctrine in the LDS church because of the failure of the prophet at the time to publicly repudiate it. If the prophet had publicly repudiated it, the members would know that it was not to be considered authoritative and yet because the prophet does not repudiate it, this doctrine with which the prophet disagrees ends up becoming accepted by members of the church as authoritative. That's the phenomenon that I discuss in the first part of this paper. And I begin by likening the talk given by Ezra Taft Benson, the 14 Fundamentals of Following the Prophet talk, to a bomb that went off in Salt Lake City back in the 1980s. Here's how this article begins. A bomb went off in Salt Lake City in the 1980s. But this bomb was not set by Mark Hoffman. It was set by Ezra Taft Benson the President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. The trigger was his famous speech, The Fourteen Fundamentals in Following the Prophet, which he delivered to a packed house at BYU's Marriott Center on February 26, 1980. But the bomb itself went off in President Spencer W. Kimball's office at church headquarters in Salt Lake City when President Kimball learned about this talk. President Kimball was, quote, concerned about Elder Benson's February 1980 talk at BYU and wanted to protect the church against being misunderstood as espousing an unthinking follow-the-leader mentality. Now, this statement regarding President Kimball's reaction to Ezra Taft Benson's talk is not found in any official church literature. Once again, his disapprobation of Elder Benson's talk was done in-house. It was done at the top level of church leadership, and the only reason we know about it is because of the excellent scholarship and historical research of D. Michael Quinn in his seminal book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Extensions of Power, and this particular reference is on page 111 of that book. In that same book, in his endnotes, numbers 352 and 353 on page 469, we gain the following information regarding this situation. Here's what he writes there. President Kimball required Elder Benson to explain himself to a combined meeting of all general authorities the following week. Of all general authorities, President Kimball was obviously peeved. Additionally, President Kimball asked Elder Benson to apologize to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Can you imagine that? President Kimball requiring Ezra Taft Benson the second most senior apostle in the LDS church, to apologize to the rest of his subordinates. The rest of them would all have been subordinates in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, to apologize to the Quorum of the Twelve. But the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles were quote, dissatisfied with his response, end of quote. So it's important first off to establish that Ezra Taft Benson gave the talk, obviously that's a matter of public record, but also to shine a light on what was happening behind closed doors in the church office building. That the president of the church was very upset with this talk and one of the reasons why is because he wanted to protect the church against being misunderstood as espousing and unthinking follow the leader mentality. Now let's give a little background on this particular talk. What was it about Elder Benson's talk that made President Kimball concerned that it would be misunderstood as espousing and unthinking follow the leader mentality? Well, a brief survey of the talk should answer that question. Ezra Taft Benson told his audience of 25,000 that the grand key, that's his words, grand key to being crowned with God's glory and being victorious in spite of Satan's fury, What was the key, the grand key to doing this? It was to follow the prophet, quote, unquote, follow the prophet. Ezra Taft Benson then broke this one grand key down into 14 aspects, which he summarized at the end of his speech as follows. And he added that our salvation depends upon our following these 14 fundamentals. Here they are. I think I'm going to do my Casey Kasem impression. Number one. The prophet is the only man who speaks for the Lord in everything. Number two, the living prophet is more vital to us than the standard works. Three, the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet. Number four, the prophet will never lead the church astray. Number five, the prophet is not required to have any particular earthly training or credentials to speak on any subject or act on any matter at any time. Mm, Yes, that, that pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Number six, the prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord to give us scripture. Okay, I'm going back to my normal voice. That Casey Kasem is just not working for me this morning. I apologize. Number six, as I said, the prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord to give us scripture. Number seven, the prophet tells us what we need to know, not always what we want to know. Number eight, the prophet is not limited by man's reasoning. Number nine, the prophet can receive revelation on any matter, temporal or spiritual. Number 10, the prophet may advise on civic matters, which I think is his way of saying political matters. The prophet may advise on civic or political matters. Number 11, the two groups who have the greatest difficulty in following the prophet are the proud who are learned and radio free Mormon. No, wait a second. He didn't say that. What he said was the two groups who have the greatest difficulty in following the prophet are the proud who are learned and the proud who are rich. Well, the proud who are learned, I wouldn't consider that to be an anti-intellectual sentiment, would you? Number 12, the prophet will not necessarily be popular with the world or the worldly Number 13, the prophet and his counselors make up the first presidency, the highest quorum in the church. Now, hang on a second. I've got to say something about that. That's number 13. Everybody knows that, right? That's not really a separate fundamental of following the prophet. Number 13, the prophet and his counselors make up the first presidency, the highest quorum in the church. One gets the feeling that he's trying to pad his list at this point. He doesn't want to end up with 13 fundamentals of following the prophet, that would be an unlucky number. So he adds this in. So number 14 can be his final fundamental. The prophet and the first presidency. The living prophet and the first presidency, he makes it clear, he doesn't want to be talking about old prophets or dead prophets or old first presidencies or dead first presidencies. This applies only to the living prophet and the first presidency. Follow them, he says, and be blessed. Reject them and suffer. Yeah, he actually says that. Follow them and be blessed, reject them, and you will suffer. So those are the 14 fundamentals in thumbnail form. It is easy to see why President Kimball would be exercised at the content of this speech. He had just been portrayed by Ezra Taft Benson. He had just been portrayed to the world as a man whose words were more important than the standard works. They were more important than any other prophet in history and more important on any subject than what anybody else has ever said anytime or anywhere, regardless of their expertise, and whose every word should be considered as scripture. This is the situation that President Kimball finds himself in after Ezra Taft Benson has gone out and shot his mouth off about how incredible President Kimball is. So yeah, I can understand why he'd be a little bit miffed at Ezra Taft Benson and want to have a private meeting to discuss the situation with him and have him apologize to the other members of the Quorum of the Twelve, apparently. In effect, Elder Benson had just bestowed on President Kimball the thorny crown of infallibility. Elder Benson had presented a false depiction of the true nature of prophets, at least the true nature of prophets, according to President Kimball, and his idea of the true nature of prophets was something less grand, still very important, obviously, but something less grand than what Ezra Taft Benson had just portrayed. Ezra Taft Benson's 14 fundamentals in following the prophet were actually 14 fundamentals in falsifying the prophet. And, as we have seen, President Kimball was none too pleased about it. But what did President Kimball do about This fact that here a senior member, in fact, the senior member of all the other apostles next to himself in the leadership of the church had just gone out and preached absolutely false doctrine from President Kimball's point of view. What did he do about it? Well, other than his private vetting, his private vetting of concerns and complaints, President Kimball apparently took no action to publicly repudiate, clarify or distance the church from Ezra Taft Benson's fallacious statements and therein lies the problem. Now let's do a flashback, because we see a similar thing going on with George Albert Smith during his administration. You see, this isn't the first time that such a thing has happened. In June of 1945, the Improvement Era. Now the Improvement Era, once again, was the official church magazine back in the 1940s. The title was changed to the Ensign around 1970, but it was basically the Ensign Magazine before the Ensign Magazine got its name. But in June of 1945, the Improvement Era published its ward teaching message for priesthood holders to convey to other members in their monthly visit. So once again, let me stop for a second. Of course, ward teaching is what home teaching was called back in the 1940s. And the Improvement Era magazine at the time would publish messages that the ward teachers were supposed to give to the members of the church. This would be exactly the same as back not so long ago when the Enzyme magazine would publish first presidency messages and the home teachers were supposed to take those first presidency messages and then teach them to all the different members that they home taught. So this is a very important article. It's not just something in the back of the Improvement Era. This is in the Ward Teaching Message. And in that Ward Teaching Message for Priesthood Holders, June 1945, Improvement Era, the message contained the famous phrase, quote, when our leaders speak, the thinking has been done. That's the quote. That's where it comes from. That's why it's a famous phrase. I think we've all heard that in the LDS church. Now, although this message seems to have caused nary a ripple, at least publicly, among the general membership of the church, others questioned it. And the primary person that we know of who questioned it was not even a member of the church. In fact, it was a leader of the first Unitarian Society in Salt Lake City named Dr. J. Raymond Cope. And he questioned it in the form of a letter that he wrote directly to President George Albert Smith. And in this letter, Dr. Cope informs President George Albert Smith that this ward teaching message was, quote, doing inestimable harm to many who have no other reason to question the integrity of the church leaders. So in other words, it's doing a lot of harm that Dr. Cope has seen among non-members, probably among members of his flock at the First Unitarian Society. But this message is causing damage to those non-Mormons who have no other reason to question the integrity of the church leaders. Further, Dr. Cope in his letter voiced his hope that, quote, this cannot be the position of the true leaders. So he's writing for some clarification and hopefully for some statement from President George Albert Smith that really this can't be true. You can't really believe this. And in response, George Albert Smith wrote a letter back. Now, this was in December 7th, 1945, the date of President George Albert Smith's letter back to Dr. Cope. And he assured him George Albert Smith assured Dr. Cope that the passage from the Improvement Era, quote, this is quoting from President George Albert Smith's letter, quote, does not express the true position of the church. That even to imply, this is continuing with the quote, that even to imply that members of the church are not to do their own thinking is grossly to misrepresent the true ideal of the church, period, end of the quote, for the president of the church in 1945, George Albert Smith. So let's just stop for a second and compare the phrase that went out in the ward teaching message in the church's official magazine in June of 1945, when our leaders speak, the thinking has been done, and the president of the church says, that's completely wrong. He does this in a private letter where he says that that sentiment does not express the true position of the church and that even to imply, well, this statement does more than imply it states it flat out, that even to imply that members of the church are not to do their own thinking is grossly to misrepresent the true ideal of the church. Now, there's only one reason that we know that President George Albert Smith completely disagreed with this sentiment that was put out in the church's magazine. And it's because of this letter, this personal correspondence that he wrote in response to Dr. Cope. If it were not for this letter, we would never know that George Albert Smith disagreed, vehemently apparently, with this sentiment that went out in the church magazine because George Albert Smith never said anything about it publicly. And because he never said anything about it publicly, this sentiment was allowed to stay in circulation among the Latter-day Saints, and we will see that ultimately it was repeated by subsequent church leaders in authoritative pronouncements. So, I ask the question, how did a word teaching message so antithetical to everything the LDS Church stands for get published in an official church magazine. Well, President George Albert Smith tried to explain that away too. He says that, quote, it was not prepared by one of our leaders. However, one or more of them inadvertently permitted the paragraph to pass uncensored. So he's saying that the article was not written by one of the leaders of the church. However, there are leaders of the church who are put over the content of the Improvement Era who are supposed to review it and authorize it for publication and apparently it's just sort of slipped by him and they didn't notice it. That's what he's saying here I believe. By their doing so, going on with President George Albert Smith's letter, by their doing so, letting it slip, not a few members of the church have been upset in their feelings and general authorities have been embarrassed. So, President George Albert Smith is saying that he knows that several members, not a few, which means more than a few members of the church, have been upset in their feelings. So, this was causing some ripples in the church behind the scenes and even among the general authorities who he says were embarrassed by the publication of this sentiment. So he knows it's affecting the leadership of the church. He knows it's affecting the membership of the church. But does George Albert Smith say anything publicly to repudiate this false doctrine? Uh Uh-uh, he doesn't. The next section of my paper is titled The Only Thing Necessary for False Doctrine to Triumph... Now, one might think that if George Albert Smith felt so strongly about the official church magazine depicting the prophet as a despot, He would have done something about it, especially given his claims that members of the church were upset about it and general authorities embarrassed. One might expect he would have issued some sort of official public clarification, where probably in the pages of the next issue of the Improvement Era, probably on the first page, probably in bold type. But no... One might expect that he would have issued some official public clarification or retraction of the erroneous doctrine, but one would be wrong in expecting that. If it were not for President Smith's response to Dr. Cope's letter six months after the article was published, we would never have known he disagreed with those sentiments. Because George Albert Smith did not publicly contradict and clarify the false doctrine published in the Improvement Era, it gained currency in the church and was repeated later by other leaders, including Young Women President Elaine Cannon, who paraphrased it in October 1978 General Women's Meeting of General Conference when she said, quote, When the Prophet speaks, sisters, the debate is over. She put sisters in there because she's, of course, addressing the women in the church. When the Prophet speaks, sisters, she said, the debate is over. And the next year, in the August 1979 First Presidency message, in Eldon Tanner, who was the first counselor in the first presidency at the time, in Eldon Tanner gave this same sentiment the priesthood imprimatur of authority by quoting Elaine Cannon approvingly. Of course, he dropped the word sisters from it because he's addressing the entire church, but he quotes her approvingly when he says, quote, when the prophet speaks, the debate is over. So keeping this timeline straight. 1945, in June, this sentiment first appears in the improvement era. We know that the president of the church, George Albert Smith, disagrees with it vehemently, but he doesn't do anything publicly to repudiate it. And that leads to the fact that 30 years later, in 1978, and again in 1979, this exact same sentiment is being repeated by church leaders in authoritative settings. The next section of my paper is titled, To Repudiate or Not to Repudiate? That is the question. The idea that all thinking stops or all debate ends when the prophet speaks was clearly considered false doctrine by Church President George Albert Smith. So how did it nevertheless become established as true doctrine? Well, the answer to that is because. Number one, because President Smith failed to publicly repudiate it after it appeared in the pages of the June 1945 Improvement Era. And because he failed to repudiate it, this false teaching stood unchallenged. Because it stood unchallenged, it became accepted. Because it became accepted, it was repeated by church leaders. And because it was repeated by church leaders, it became established as doctrine. Now, I set that pattern forth because we're going to see that exact same pattern again when it comes to talking about Ezra Taft Benson's talk, The 14 Fundamentals of Following the Prophet. It took only 30 years for the time bomb planted in the pages of the June 1945 Improvement Era to go off. And when it did, its falsification of the role of prophets became established as official church doctrine. And indeed, you can still hear that in the wards and stakes throughout the church to this day. Those exact words are not used, but the message is still there nonetheless. And in every general conference, you can find at least one general conference talk that contains that same concept. Now, we've been talking about George Albert Smith. Let's flash forward once again to Ezra Taft Benson. The same thing happened with Ezra Taft Benson's 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet speech. President Kimball had the same misgivings about the 14 Fundamentals as President George Albert Smith had about the 1945 Improvement Era article. President Kimball felt Elder Benson's talk would lead to the church being misunderstood as espousing an unthinking follow the leader mentality. Sound familiar? Just as President George Albert Smith felt the Improvement Era article would wrongly imply that members of the church are not to do their own thinking. Why does that remind me of a certain primary song? Hmm. See, even in the primary songs, we get these concepts and ideas that were repudiated by President George Albert Smith inculcated into the skulls of mush of our little primary children. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet, don't go astray. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He knows the way. But like President Smith, President Kimball failed to publicly repudiate the false doctrine pronounced by Elder Ezra Taft Benson at the 1980 BYU devotional. As a result of President Kimball's inaction, Elder Benson's talk was repeated point by point in October 2010 General Conference by 70 President Claudio R.M. Costa in his talk titled... Obedience to the prophets. Point by point, Ezra Taft Benson's talk was repeated in 2010, once again, 30 years later after it was given. And not only that, in the very same general conference, believe it or not, it was repeated again point by point by another speaker, Kevin R. Duncan of the 70, in his talk titled Our Very Survival. Elder Duncan justified going over the same 14 fundamentals in the same general conference quote, because they are of such importance to our salvation. Not only has Ezra Taft Benson's 14 Fundamentals been repeated twice in general conference, thereby attaining the status of uncanonized scripture in the minds of many Latter-day Saints, but the same talk is quoted in its entirety in Chapter 2 of the 2010 Teachings of the Living Prophets Student Manual. It is also quoted in its entirety in the 2013 Doctrine and Covenants in Church History Seminary Teacher Manual. So we see that it continues to be repeated decades after it was originally given and decades after the prophet at the time, President Kimball, denounced it privately as teaching false doctrine and actually requiring Ezra Taft Benson to apologize to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles for giving the talk in the first place. The next section is titled The End of a Long and Winding Road. And now putting the capstone on the process of transforming this false portrayal of prophets into official and orthodox Mormon doctrine, the 14 Fundamentals makes its appearance in chapter 11 of the new Melchizedek Priesthood and Relief Society manual that will form the basis for next year's course of study. Now, once again, I wrote this in December of 2014, so I'm talking about the manual for 2015, in Chapter 11 of the 2015 Melchizedek Priesthood and Relief Society manual. That same talk makes its appearance. So, let's compare what happened with the 14 Fundamentals now with what happened with the 1945 Improvement Era. Ward Teacher's Message. Because President Kimball failed to publicly repudiate or clarify the speech in 1980, Elder Benson's false teaching stood unchallenged. Because it stood unchallenged, at least publicly, because it stood unchallenged, it became accepted. Because it became accepted, it was repeated by church leaders. See, the same pattern is being followed here. And because it was repeated by church leaders, it became established as doctrine. And once again, it took only 30 years for the time bomb planted by Ezra Taft Benson in his 14 Fundamental speech to go off. And now that it has gone off, it's falsification, Of the role of prophets will become actually has become established as official church doctrine Ezra Taft Benson's 14 fundamentals of falsifying the prophet is complete and then because i was writing this in december of 2014 i go on to make comments about different ideas that are put forth in the original 14 fundamentals speech because it was christmas i write this As a special Christmas bonus and at no additional charge, I conclude with some thoughts regarding Elder Benson's speech and its inclusion in next year's, once again, that's 2015's Priesthood Relief Society Manual. I call this section, The 14 Fundamentals of the 14 Fundamentals. And that's because I break down my comments into 14 different comments. You see, two can play at this game. So this is the 14 Fundamentals of the 14 Fundamentals. Number one. The new manual, that's the 2015 manual, the new manual does not list all 14 points of Elder Benson's speech. Instead, it takes the talk and condenses and rearranges it into four main subheadings. Even though one of the primary objections to the talk when initially given was that prophets could be authoritatively involved in political activism, remember that part, civic matters, political matters, and most such references have been deleted in the new manual, a major political reference still remains in the 2015 manual where Elder Benson quotes Harold B. Lee as saying this. You'll probably be familiar with this quote, by the way. You may not like what comes from the authority of the church, i.e. the general authority of the church. You may not like what comes from the authority of the church. It may conflict with your political views. It may contradict your social views. It may interfere with some of your social life. Your safety, however, your safety and ours depends upon whether or not we follow. Let's keep our eye on the president of the church. That's the end of the quote. I guess it was important to include that in the manual. What with the whole gay marriage thing going on right then? Oh my gosh, I wrote this back at the end of 2014. It seems that there's more than one prophet in the LDS church and one of them may be sitting behind this microphone right now. Yes, at the end of 2014 I wrote that it was important to include that in the 2015 manual, what with the whole gay marriage thing going on at the time. So that's number one. Number two, the 14 fundamentals is cited six times in the end notes to lesson 11 of the 2015 manual. It appears the editors did not want to make it too easy for the reader to locate the talk to read the whole thing because They don't give the citation to the Enzyme magazine. They don't give the citation to the Liahona magazine. They don't give the citation to BYU Speeches, which is where it was originally given in 1980 by Ezra Taft Benson. Instead, the new manual, the 2015 manual, gives the citation to this talk to the June 1981 issue of Tambuli. That's T-A-M-B-U-L-I. And I looked at this when I'm researching for writing this paper and saying, what the heck? is Tambouli, I'd never heard it before. Maybe you've heard it, I haven't. But with a little digging, because Google is my friend, with a little digging, I found out that Tambouli is the name, actually, of an LDS church magazine. I had never known this before. How come I'd never known it before? Because Tambouli is the name of the LDS church magazine in the Philippines. So the editors of the 2015 manual are rehashing and recondensing and recapitulating the 14 fundamentals talk they cite to it four times in the endnotes, but when they cite to it, they do it in the pages of the Tambuli magazine. That's why I say it doesn't seem like the editors wanted to make it too easy for the membership to find the original of this talk. Mormons who go by the end notes are going to have a tough time finding this particular publication, unless, that is, they happen to speak Filipino. Number three. I went through the entire new manual, that 2015 manual, I went through the whole thing looking at all the endnotes to see if maybe there were other citations to the Tambouli magazine. Guess what? Zip. Nope. There were none. There are no other citations to the Tambouli magazine anywhere in the entire manual in any of the other lessons except for these four citations to the 14 Fundamentals talk. Instead, the other notes have crazy references to publications that no English-speaking Mormon has ever heard of. Publications like The Ensign, and Conference Report, and The New Era. Who would ever be able to find a citation in little-known publications like those? No, it looks for all the world, like the editors of the new manual knew good and well, that Elder Benson's 14 Fundamentals remains radioactive. And though they couldn't quite keep themselves from regurgitating most of it, They nevertheless used a citation that would be as difficult to track down as humanly possible. Unlike the Spanish-language church magazine, the Liajona Tambuli cannot even be accessed on the church website. Number four, and another thing, even though Tambuli, the Tambuli Filipino magazine, cannot be accessed on the church website, the Liajona magazine can be accessed on the church website, and you can get the English version of it on the church website. And it turns out, that the Liahona magazine published the same talk, 14 Fundamentals, in the same issue that it was published in the Tambuli magazine, i.e. June of 1981. If you go to the church website, you can actually find the June 1981 Liahona magazine, which has the talk at the very beginning, the 14 fundamentals in following the prophet. All you have to do to find it is go to the homepage and type in the search box 14 fundamentals in following the profit, and actually, you only have to get the first word type, 14, and the search function will fill in the rest for you automatically. Something else that I want to mention, which I did not pick up on when I was actually writing this article originally, but which I found out subsequently, is if you go to that issue, of the Liahona magazine, you're going to find something that is unprecedented to my knowledge. Now remember that this was at the time when the First Presidency published a First Presidency message at the beginning of every Enzyme magazine. They did the same thing at the beginning of the Liahona magazine and in fact of course the Liahona magazine typically mirrored the same First Presidency message as was found in the Enzyme magazine for the same month. That much makes sense. Here's the unprecedented part. Believe it or not, the First Presidency message was always written by, wait for it, a member of the First Presidency. That's why it's called a First Presidency message. In this one particular instance, and I have found no other examples like this, but in this one particular instance, in the June 1981 Liahona magazine, the First Presidency message is written by a person who was not a member of the First Presidency. That is the 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet. I'm looking at it right now on my computer screen on the church website. First Presidency message, 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet, written by President Ezra Taft Benson of the Quorum of the Twelve. I have never, ever seen another First Presidency message written by somebody who was not a member of the First Presidency. This is the one exception. And it was not done in the pages of the Enzyme magazine. The Enzyme magazine for June of 1981 has a First Presidency message, but it's actually written by a member of the First Presidency. It is only in the Liahona magazine that we have this article, this 14 Fundamentals talk by Ezra Taft Benson, not a member of the First Presidency under the heading of the first presidency message. I found that absolutely fascinating. And once again, if you know of any other first presidency messages that were written by people who are not members of the first presidency, please let me know. This is the only one I've ever seen that falls into that very strange category. So now I'm through number four of my 14 fundamentals on the 14 fundamentals. Let's go to number five. Not only is the speech available on the church website in the Leahona magazine, I just looked it up, it's still available, you can too. As well as in the other publications noted above, it is also accessible on the BYU Speeches website that is accessible through the church website. When you bring up the BYU Speeches version, you will see a transcript provided together with a link that you can click to actually listen to Elder Benson giving the talk. Now, even this would have been easier to access than Tambouli magazine. In other words, they could have put in their in notes in Lesson 11 of the 2015 Priesthood of Relief Society Manual, they could have put the BYU Speeches website as a reference, and even that would have been easier to reference than the Tambouli magazine. But they don't put the Liahona magazine down, which is accessible on the church website. They don't put BYU Speeches down as their reference in the in note, which could be found through the church's website. They put Tambouli down which cannot be accessed through the church website and presumably cannot be read unless one can read Filipino. Do you think they're trying to keep members from reading the whole talk? It sure seems like it to me. And yet, at one and the same time, while the church is trying to keep members from finding the entire talk, they are nevertheless repeating the substance of the same talk in modified form, in the manual. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. It seems like they're playing both ends against the middle. It looks like there are some elements of the talk that they want to keep in the manual and they want to keep alive, but there are other parts of the talk that they don't want to keep alive, that they don't want the members to know about. Number six, Elder Benson's talk seems to have been trouble from the beginning. If you listen to the speech on the BYU Speeches website, if you listen to the speech and then compare it with the transcript that's provided right next to it on the BYU Speeches website, they are not the same. There are several phrases that have been deleted from the talk in preparing the transcript. So if you go there, if you want to, it's an interesting exercise to go to the BYU speeches website, play the talk, and then read along with the transcript as you're listening to the talk as you listen to Elder Ezra Taft Benson speaking and you will be able to see readily the differences. That's what I did in preparing this article. So once again, several phrases that were given by Elder Ezra Taft Benson have been deleted from the transcript of the talk on the BYU speeches website. We'll go into what some of those are here in a second. After that was done, the talk was again revised before it was published in the Liahona. So once again, we've got three permutations. We've got the talk that Ezra Benson originally gave. We've got the transcript of that talk, which is different on the BYU speeches website. And then that transcript was itself modified in order to be published as the first presidency message, right, in the Liahona Magazine, June of 1981. So there's three permutations going on. Finally, it has been revised once more for publication in the 2015 manual. One wonders why a speech given by the President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles in 1980 should need so much revising in subsequent incarnations. And yet, it is a fact that it has gone through many subsequent revisions in order to make it ready for prime time in the 2015 manual. Number seven. For example, if you compare the audio of the speech... With the BYU Speeches transcript, so this is just the first permutation, the actual speech with the transcript on the BYU Speeches website, you will find the actual speech states, it is our responsibility to, quote, honor the principles of our inspired Constitution, which at this time seems to be almost hanging by a thread. That's what Ezra Taft says in his original speech. The transcript deletes the final phrase, which at this time seems to be almost hanging by a thread. So it takes that out and leaves just that it is our responsibility to honor the principles of our inspired Constitution, period, dropping the last phrase about the Constitution at this time seeming to almost be hanging by a thread from the end of the second paragraph. And under the seventh fundamental, the speech quotes Marion G. Romney as saying, it is an easy thing to believe in the dead prophets, but it is a greater thing to believe in the living prophets. And once again, the transcript does the same thing with this quote, it deletes the the second phrase. So it deletes the phrase, but it is a greater thing to believe in the living prophets and it leaves in the phrase, it is an easy thing to believe in the dead prophets. Whoever is doing the transcript for BYU studies felt authorized to delete phrases that were potentially controversial from Ezra Taft Benson's original speech. Number eight, more deletions are made between the transcript of the BYU speech and the publication of the same talk in the June 1981 Liahona and presumably the June 1981 Tambuli, though I can't read Filipino and I can't access it, so I can't guarantee that. But we've talked about the differences between the actual speech, the audio of the speech, and the transcript at BYU speeches. Now we're going to talk about the difference between the transcript at BYU speeches and the publication of the same talk as the first presidency message in the Liahona magazine, June 1981. For example, the transcript correctly quotes the talk as saying under the eighth fundamental, quote, there will be times when you will have to choose between the revelations of God and the reasoning of men, between the prophet and the politician or professor. The Liahona version of the speech deletes politician from the sentence. So now it just says there will be times when you will have to choose between the revelations of God and the reasoning of men, between the prophet or professor. We're dropping the whole politician thing from the original speech. So once again, if you're following this timeline, the original speech includes politician in the actual talk. The word politician was included in the transcript on the BYU speeches website, but it was dropped from the version of the talk that was ultimately published as the first presidency message in June 1981, Liahona Magazine. There's another difference. Also under the 10th fundamental, the transcript at BYU speeches says, also under the 10th fundamental, the transcript correctly quotes the speech as saying, Those who would remove prophets from politics would take God out of government. This sentence was dropped in its entirety from the Liahona version. Finally, Elder Benson's description of General Conference addresses as our marching orders for the next six months is softened in the Liahona to say not our marching orders, but our instructions for the next six months. So General Conference Elder Benson originally says it gives us our marching orders that was correctly transcribed in the BYU speeches transcript, but it was changed from marching orders to our instructions in the First Presidency Message version of the talk. Number nine, although most of the political statements have been completely removed in the new manual, and you can see that most of the things that we're talking about, they got changed and deleted had to do with politics and politicians, although most of the political statements have been completely removed in the new manual, the 2015 manual, with the notable exception of the Elder Harold B. Lee quotation mentioned above. The single most problematic fundamental of following the prophet remains in the 2015 manual, that is, the teaching that if a prophet tells you to do something that is wrong and you do it anyway, you will be blessed for it. In fact, if he tells you to do something is wrong, you should do it anyway and you will, in fact, be blessed for doing it. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because the prophet told you to do it. And even if it's the wrong thing to do and you do it, you'll be blessed for doing the wrong thing. But these are not Ezra Taft Benson's own words. He is quoting from a 1960 General Conference talk that was given by Marion G. Romney. And they're not Marion G. Romney's own words either because Marion G. Romney in that 1960 conference talk is quoting from a private conversation that he had with President Heber J. Grant from at least 15 years earlier. The reason I say it had to be at least 15 years earlier is because President Grant passed away in 1945. The talk was given in 1960. So presumably if Marion G. Romney giving the talk in 1960 is quoting President Heber J. Grant, it had to be at least 15 years earlier. This is the quote given by Marion G. Romney in 1960 that is quoted by Ezra Taft Benson in 1980 and which is quoted again in the 2015 Priesthood Relief Society manual. I remember years ago when I was a bishop, I had President Heber J. Grant talk to our ward. After the meeting, I drove him home. Standing by me, he put his arm over my shoulder and said, My boy, you always keep your eye on the president of the church. And if he ever tells you to do anything, and it is wrong, and you do it, the Lord will bless you for it. So that is what I consider to be the single most problematic statement, the single most problematic story. That was told in 1960 it was recapitulated in 1980 by Ezra Taft Benson and it was retained in the 2015 priesthood relief society manual indeed because of its frequent repetition there are probably very few members of the church who have not heard this story number 10 the idea that we should follow the prophet even when the prophet is wrong has a number of consequences number one it puts the prophet above not only the standard works and all prophets who have gone before him, it puts the prophet above God himself. God's commandments become secondary in the face of a prophetic instruction to do the opposite. And apparently, God himself is bound to honor the word of the errant prophet by blessing those who follow his contradictory counsel. And sometime toward the middle of 2015, once again, that was in the future when I wrote this article, when we get to chapter 11 of the new manual, this egregious and pernicious idea will be taught as established church doctrine in an official church publication, remember, to all male and female adult members. This is the ultimate fundamental in falsifying the prophet. And the problematic nature of this idea is hardly ameliorated by the concluding statements attributed to Heber J. Grant, which he allegedly said with a twinkle in his eye right after saying what was quoted above. It goes on to say, but you don't need to worry. This is Heber J. Grant talking to Marion G. Romney according to Marion G. Romney in 1960, but you don't need to worry. The Lord will never let his mouthpiece lead the people astray. So even though. The prophet might tell you to do something that ends up being wrong. It's never going to be so wrong as to qualify as leading the people astray. That's what I take from the story. Of course, how it is exactly that you go about measuring when telling somebody to do something is wrong crosses the line into leading the people astray. That's a little bit harder to determine. Number 11, the 14 fundamental speech seems internally inconsistent in a number of ways. First, we know from the speech that what Elder Ezra Taft Benson said Is not necessarily scripture. Why? Because he was not the president of the church when he gave it. So why should his speech be considered binding in any sense? Remember, the speech says that it is the president of the church who gives scripture. And so if we're going to look at what should be considered scripture in 1980 surrounding the speech, would it not be the concerns that President Kimball expressed to Ezra Taft Benson privately about his speech that counts as scripture and not the speech itself? Remember Ezra Taft Benson when he's saying that the prophet is the one who gives scripture was not a prophet himself at the time. So how is it that he not being a prophet can say that the prophet is the one who gives scripture and consider that binding on the church when he's not the prophet who's giving it in the first place? But maybe in their private tête-à-tête where President Kimball was dressing down Elder Benson about this speech, maybe President Kimball did not tell Elder Benson, thus saith the Lord. So maybe he wasn't speaking as a prophet when he told Elder Benson what he thought about his speech. Oh, wait a minute. I almost forgot the sixth fundamental. The sixth fundamental is the prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord, to give a scripture. So apparently, President Kimball's dressing down of Elder Benson is the scripture here, not Elder Benson's talk. Number 12, the prophet will never lead the church astray is the fourth fundamental. This quote comes from Wilford Woodruff, who felt compelled to make this assertion, as a cover for his reversal on plural marriage in 1890. That's where this quote comes from and that's the context in which it was made. How else was President Woodruff to explain that he was for plural marriage before he was against it? Or that he, Wilford Woodruff and John Taylor, by the way, had prophetically claimed plural marriage would never be rescinded? And so, President Woodruff Introduce this unfortunate phrase into the Mormon lexicon, which has now assumed a life of its own as hardy as the sentiment is circular. What do I mean by circular? Let's diagram this expression The prophet will never lead the church astray, because the prophet said, The prophet will never lead the church astray. That's why I call it circular. Number 13. The idea that the prophet will never lead the church astray is not only a perfect circle, it also admits of only two conclusions, neither of them palatable. The first conclusion is that the prophet is infallible and will only choose to do the right thing. Not only does this position make the prophet the only human being on earth deprived of moral agency, it also runs headlong into the recent church essay laying the blame for the priesthood ban on the influence of racist culture in the doctrinal policies of church presidents. You recall that essay. That essay came out in December of 2013, as I recall. It is the one titled Race and the Priesthood, and it makes the argument, at least among other arguments, that the racism reflected in the policy of the priesthood and temple ban on blacks in the LDS church came about, at least in part, because church presidents were influenced by the racism prevalent in the society in which they lived. So that's why I say that this first conclusion, this idea that the prophet is doctrinally infallible, runs headlong into the idea that they can be influenced to say and teach and do the wrong things because of their culture. Now the second possible conclusion to this idea that the prophet will never lead the church astray is that God must be pictured, as he sometimes is actually, as a heavenly hitman ready to take out the prophet as soon as that prophet makes a false move. But really, this is just another way of saying the prophet will be allowed no moral agency, isn't it? I mean, good grief, even Adolf Hitler and Pol Pot were allowed agency to do what they wanted without being removed from the picture. But not so the prophet, apparently. If the prophet gets too close to leading the church astray, God is going to drop a dime on that prophet and he will be sleeping with the fishes. And unfortunately, it seems that God was asleep in his sniper's nest while prophets were forbidding blacks from the priesthood and the temple, right? Remember, if this idea that God's going to take out a prophet when he gets too close to leading the church astray is true, where was he during the 10 prophets, I believe it was, who were consistently teaching, enforcing, and repeating the priesthood and temple ban on blacks? But perhaps this explains why prophets are so old by the time they assume office. I mean, it's much less suspicious for God to take out a prophet who's leading the church astray by making the hit look like a heart attack than by dropping a piano on him while he's strolling down North Temple Street. And finally, number 14, you know a false doctrine has really achieved the status of orthodoxy when Mormons are excommunicated for championing what was originally considered to be true. That's what Adrian and Tausha Larson found out a few months ago. Once again, this was written in December of 2014. That's what they found out a few months ago when they were excommunicated for promoting the idea that prophets are not infallible. So remember, what they are promoting, Adrian and Tasha Larson are promoting, is what President Kimball promoted in private when he dressed down Ezra Taft Benson for giving the speech. But now these two get excommunicated for agreeing with President Kimball and promoting the idea that prophets are not infallible. This was enough to lose their church membership. They are now officially outside the fold. They are apostates. And why? because they sided with President Spencer Kimball and President George Albert Smith against President Wilford Woodruff and President Heber J. Grant. And so, in the final analysis, it isn't really a question of following the prophets, but rather what prophets we follow. But don't worry, even if the prophets we choose to follow are wrong, we will be blessed for it. Just ask the Larson's. So that's the end of my article from December of 2014. I hope you liked it. I enjoyed reading it to you. That's about all for tonight. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.